great. You've been loading up on things from Walmart? Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A. You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. In 2012, Aurora, Colorado made national headlines when it was the site of a horrific shooting. On July 20th, during the midnight screening of The Dark Knight, James Egan Holmes opened fire in a packed movie theater, killing 12 and injuring 70 more. This tragedy made the sprawling Denver suburb a household name. Holmes was captured hours later and eventually sentenced to multiple life terms in prison for his crimes. Eight years before Holmes terrorized theatergoers and shocked a nation, a terrible murder happened in Aurora. This crime didn't impact as many people, nor did it garner national media attention, but the violence and brutality of the crime It left a deep and lasting impact in the community. Aurora, Colorado is a suburb east of Denver. While Aurora has roots in the late 1800s, it was founded in response to the Great Western Silver Rush. The city didn't start to develop until the 1970s and is primarily composed of subdivisions and residential areas. It has almost half the population of Denver, but has a larger footprint. When I was growing up, I would hear about sports in Denver being played at Mile High Stadium. And just like its larger neighbor, Aurora, Colorado is in the mountains. The city sits at 45,000 feet, which is roughly 1,650 meters. It was a job in Denver that led our victim, Al Kite, to Colorado. And it was the suburban enclave of Aurora that he made his home. Oki Albert Kite Jr. was born May 7, 1951, in North Carolina. Better known as Al, he grew up in Halifax County and attended Weldon High School. After graduation, he enrolled at Atlantic Christian College, about an hour away in Wilson, North Carolina. It was at Atlantic Christian College that he earned a bachelor's degree in business. While Kite spent the first 20-some years of his life a stone's throw from Halifax County, he made up for it after he finished college. His career took him all over the United States, including Massachusetts, Texas, California, Wyoming, and Tennessee. He also worked in Africa and Algeria for a few years, again doing payroll and accounting. In 1976, Al married a girl from his hometown, Gail Kay. Al helped to raise Gail's daughter from a previous relationship. While his marriage to Gail lasted 12 years, he continued to remain close with Julie, his stepdaughter. In 1998, Al's career led to another move, this time to Aurora, Colorado. Al loved the outdoors, and he was athletic, counting biking, hiking, golf, and skiing among his hobbies. This made Aurora a great place for him to settle down. Al decided to purchase a home and chose a townhouse in a planned community. 
In this neighborhood, there are rows and rows of connected units with a two-car attached garage and a basement. The units go on for blocks, and they all look pretty similar. The townhome was big, certainly more than he needed by himself, and he opted to make the basement into a standalone unit, an apartment that he could rent out for extra income. He quickly located a tenant for the space, and the arrangement worked well for them. In early 2004, the tenant gave notice, advising Al that they would be moving out. So Al began looking for another tenant for the space. And it was in May 2004 that he posted the apartment for rent. It was this posting, this offer of space to rent, that led a cold-blooded and vicious killer to his door. The prospective tenant told Al that his name was Robert Cooper, and that he was from, quote, out east, where he worked for Wells Fargo. He had recently been relocated to the area, and he may have told Al that he was staying with his sister as he looked for his own place. Cooper seemed legit. He completed a renter's application, not just with Al, but with other properties as well. Since we cannot identify the actual name of the man who murdered Al Kite, I will be using the name Robert Cooper throughout the episode. Robert Cooper was dark-haired, about five foot eight and 180 pounds. Average-looking, nothing distinctive about his appearance. In fact, one of Al's neighbors saw Cooper at some point and greeted him, but Cooper acted like he didn't see or hear the neighbor, not responding to or acknowledging the greeting. Aside from the odd snub, there wasn't anything memorable about Cooper's looks. He was average height, average build, neatly dressed. No birthmarks or tattoos to be seen. Nothing to mention except for his slight limp. A limp that came and went depending on which property he was visiting. When Cooper decided to take the apartment, he paid Al a deposit and asked for assistance from Al in getting a piece of furniture, a large, heavy recliner, down the basement stairs. As Cooper walked with the limp, Al assumed he had some sort of physical disability, so Al offered to help him move the heavy chair. This was a mistake that may have cost him his life. During one of Cooper's visits to the home, Al's longtime girlfriend, Linda, was at the house. In fact, she heard Al offer to introduce him to her. Linda was using the restroom, and before she could wash her hands and meet the new tenant face-to-face, he made an excuse and left the home. But Linda caught a glimpse of him in profile as he left. She later told law enforcement he was in his 40s with dark wavy hair, about 5 foot 8, average build, wearing nice pants and a sport coat. She saw him only for a moment and didn't know until days later how calculated his departure was or how much she'd wish that she'd met him face to face. I can't imagine how much Linda must have agonized over not meeting him, because if she had met him, would it have derailed his plans? Al may have been spared, but someone else would have been a victim. Someone as calculating, cruel, and cold as Robert Cooper would not be dissuaded from his task. The trail to Robert Cooper begins and ends in the Denver area. From the burner phone he used to find rentals, to the University of Colorado Hospital Library where some of these rentals were posted, Cooper, not his real name, presented himself as a Wells Fargo employee who had recently transferred to the Denver area. Kite was not the only person Cooper visited. When law enforcement tracked his cell phone, 
They discovered he'd visited three or four other properties, including one owned by a woman who refused to offer him the space because she felt something was off. Is that why the man selected Al Kite as his target? While the other landlords may have been easier prey, it was Kite that approved his request to move in. In fact, law enforcement talked to the other landlords, the ones who'd met with Cooper in the days leading up to May 22nd and their descriptions of Cooper varied greatly, giving him an age range between 35 and 52. Sometimes he had a limp, sometimes he didn't. Some reported that he used a cane, others that his gait was unencumbered. Finally, one said that he spoke with an accent, a Romanian accent to be specific, and this was noticed by an older woman who was a professor and familiar with Romania and the language. A quick note about Romania. It is a country in Eastern Europe located on the Black Sea. It is southwest of the Ukraine, northeast of Turkey, and almost due south of Poland. After World War II, Romania was occupied by Soviet Russia, and a communist government was put in place. That government controlled the country for almost 50 years until the revolution of 1989. During the 1990s and the aughts, almost two million Romanians left the country. In the years since the revolution, Romania has worked to establish herself as an independent nation, and in 2004, they joined NATO. In 2007, they joined the European Union. Back to Aurora, or more specifically to Denver, because the strange case of Robert Cooper keeps coming back to the University of Colorado Medical Center. Investigators traced the purchase of his cell phone to the Medical Center campus. The address Cooper listed on the entirely fabricated rental application was a non-existent location at the University of Colorado Medical School. Also, a couple of the apartments that Cooper toured while looking for a victim were posted only at the University of Colorado Library. However, the ad that Kite posted for the basement apartment, he'd posted that in the local newspaper. In May of 2004, Kite had just turned 53. His life was going well. He was healthy, he enjoyed his work, he had a nice home, and he was in a happy relationship with Linda. Locating a new tenant for the space should have been a quick detour from his regular activities, not the end of the road for someone who, from all accounts, was a really nice guy. Detective Thomas Sobieski who has handled this case from day one, said that he couldn't find anyone with a bad thing to say about Al Kite. For what it's worth, in the pictures that I've seen of him, Kite looks like a warm and friendly guy. On Friday, May 22, 2004, Al took his girlfriend, Linda, to the airport. She was headed off on a week-long trip, and this meant that Al was home all weekend, just him and the new tenant, Robert Cooper. It was sometime Friday afternoon or Friday evening that Al was attacked, most likely on the stairs leading into the basement of his home. Remember the large recliner that Cooper needed help with? He'd asked Al to assist him in loading it into the basement, and police theorized that it was while Al had his hands full with the chair that Cooper attacked him. From newspaper reports and conversations with local law enforcement, we learn that Al was struck and subdued. Cooper bound Kite, tying his hands behind him and securing his feet as well. Then Cooper went upstairs and chose knives from Al's own kitchen. Over the next several hours, 
he would use these knives on Al-Qaeda. The torture was prolonged and intense. The coroner believed that Al-Qaeda lived through much of the torture, and death, when it came, was a blessing. That night, Cooper made himself at home, eating Kite's food and sleeping in his bed. Over the weekend, he cleaned the crime scene, using bleach and wiping down as much of the house as he could. He showered in Kite's bathroom and followed that with a bit more bleach down the drain. There was no one to interrupt his plans. Kite would not be reported missing until Monday. When he didn't report to work and he couldn't be reached on his home or cell phones, a call was placed to his sister, Barbara. She knew this was out of character for Al, and she contacted the Aurora police. She asked them to perform a welfare check on her brother. Barbara lived out of state, so she couldn't do this herself. When Aurora police responded to the Helena Street townhome, there was no answer to their knocks at the door. When they let themselves in, police discovered a gruesome and terrifying scene. The brutalized remains of Al Kite were found in the basement of the home. His death was particularly grisly. Kite had suffered unspeakable torture and brutality at the hands of his assailant. Few details were made public, and honestly, if they were available, I'm not sure I would share them. Suffice to say that his death was cruel, prolonged, and terrible. As law enforcement searched the town home, now an active crime scene, they realized that Kite's vehicle, a blue and gray GMC truck, was missing. His cell phone and credit cards were gone as well. Robert Cooper, or whatever his actual name is, took his time with Al Kite. He tortured him over a period of several hours. The coroner's report described several wounds from a sharp instrument. Al Kite suffered. Linda, Al's girlfriend, would later tell police that he would have given up his PIN number to an assailant. There was no need for his death to be so horrific, so brutal. Except, listeners, the pin, that was something extra. The real goal of this was the thrill of the hunt. The methodical torture and death of a helpless man, a man that, quote, no one had a bad word to say about him, this was not what Al Kite, a southern gentleman from North Carolina, deserved as his end. A check of Kite's bank records revealed that there was still plenty of cash in his accounts, although someone had used his ATM card to make withdrawals. Cooper selected an ATM away from Kite's residence, not the location in his neighborhood, and Cooper was driving Kite's truck when he accessed the ATM. Interestingly, the money taken from the ATM was far less than he could have taken. A disturbing conclusion was reached, one that law enforcement still believes. Al Kite was not killed as part of a robbery. Robert Cooper murdered him because he wanted to kill someone. The cash obtained from the ATM machines after his death? That was a bonus. Robert Cooper disguised his appearance using a ski mask while accessing the ATM. He also wore gloves. When he abandoned Kite's truck, the ATM receipts were left on the seat of the truck for detectives to find. Later, Cooper disposed of Kite's phone and credit cards in areas that they would be picked up by the homeless and used. This was one of Cooper's many attempts to hamper the investigation. So let's talk about Robert Cooper. 
We know that in 2004, this man was between 35 and 50 years of age. He was five foot eight with wavy dark hair and an average build. He claimed to have a job with Wells Fargo and a sister living in the Denver area, a sister with a family of her own, which is why he was looking for a place. The address and social security number on the rental application were both false. The address led to a building on the University of Colorado campus, and the social security number traced back to a woman with no association to the case. Wells Fargo was contacted, and their employment records were reviewed. No, they didn't have anyone matching that description, and no one had transferred into the area, as Robert Cooper described. That, too, was a dead end. The phone number that Cooper used to call Kite and other prospective victims led back to a burner phone purchased near the University of Colorado Hospital campus. When the calls were tracked and traced, they came from cell towers all over the city. They couldn't pin him down to one area of town. It became clear to investigators that Cooper had planned this murder down to the last detail. In the weeks leading up to May 22nd, Cooper visited several available properties in the area, and each person he met with described him differently. The limp, or lack thereof, an accent, perhaps Romanian in origin. These people met him face to face and spoke with him while they were showing him their property, and the descriptions, aside from his build and hair color, varied greatly. He told two of the people the Wells Fargo story and didn't share that information with other prospective victims. While Kite's ATM card was used and money taken from his accounts, financial gain was never the reason for the murder. While it's horrifying to contemplate, it appears the murder itself, the capturing, and the hours of torture for the victim, that was his goal. With such a measured plan for locating the right victim, it seems unlikely that Kite's murder was a one-time thing. Robert Cooper, or whatever his name is, has done this before, and has probably done it since. Aurora police have looked at similar murders in other areas, including Washington State and Omaha, Nebraska, trying to locate him. Information about the case was shared with Interpol. Could the Romanian accent have been a real clue to the identity of Robert Cooper? Robert Cooper met with potential victims of both genders prior to selecting Al-Kite. It is likely that as Kite was unmarried with no children, it made him a more desirable victim. There does not appear to have been a sexual component to the attack. Finally, I need to mention that Al-Kite had an interesting job history, a history that could have played a part in his murder. One of Kite's first jobs was at the Surrey Nuclear Power Plant in North Carolina, where he did payroll and moved up to accounting. He later worked at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in Livermore, California. If you aren't familiar with the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, it's a mouthful, it's located east of Oakland, California, and north of San Jose. Now, I don't normally cite Wikipedia, but their description of the facility covers all the bases. Lawrence Livermore National Lab is a research and development institution for science and technology applied to national security. Their focus is to ensure the safety, security, and reliability of our nation's nuclear weapons using advanced science, engineering, and technology. 
The laboratory also applies its special expertise to preventing the proliferation and use of weapons of mass destruction, bolstering homeland security, and solving problems facing our nation, including environmental security and economic competitiveness. So, the Livermore Lab? They design new weapons. It's a very interesting and extremely secure place. Knowing that Robert Cooper spoke with a Romanian or possibly Eastern European accent, and realizing that Kite worked at not one but two nuclear facilities in the United States, he also had a similar job when he was working in Algeria, which, if you aren't familiar with Algeria, it's an African nation on the northwestern tip of the continent between Morocco and Libya. It's possible that Kite was murdered to reveal a secret or secrets that someone thought that he knew. Could his ties to nuclear energy and weapons in the United States have led to his demise? It's possible that Kite had secrets about weapons, our nuclear arsenal, or other sensitive information, and Cooper sought him out so he could obtain that information. Could the visits to the other properties been merely a diversion from his actual target? I did ask specifically how isolated Kite's home was. If you look up the address in Google Maps, you'll see that the townhomes are connected on both sides. Law enforcement did perform a sound test, going into the basement of the home and screaming for help. Officers outside of the home could not hear the cries. No one knew what Kite was suffering at the hands of his assailant, not until it was far too late. Whether he was killed for information about his work on nuclear projects or tortured and executed merely as entertainment for a psychopath, we can't say for sure. Until Robert Cooper is identified and apprehended, there are no answers. Hi, this is Christy Lee, host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast. My podcast tells Canadian stories of cruel people who committed heinous acts and honors innocent victims who are no longer with us. I start with a deep dive into the story of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka with information you probably haven't heard, and then I venture into some lesser-known Canadian crime stories. You can find me on your favorite podcast app. Just search for Canadian True Crime. Oki Albert Kite Jr. was laid to rest in Halifax, North Carolina, the same place he lived for the first 20-some years of his life. His sister, stepdaughter, and his friend Linda still hope that the man responsible for his brutal and senseless murder will be found and made to pay for what he did. If Al Kite hadn't met Robert Cooper, perhaps he'd be married to Linda, considering retirement, maybe contemplating a return to North Carolina. But he never had that chance. Photos of Robert Cooper at the ATM, as well as sketches made by witnesses, are available on our website, alreadygonepodcast.com. Law enforcement believes that Cooper, or whatever his name really is, acted alone. Thirteen years have passed since Oki Albert Kite Jr., known to his friends and family as Al, met a violent end in the basement of his home at the hand of an unknown assailant. Detectives at the Aurora, Colorado Police Department consider this an open and active investigation. They have compiled more than 20 binders filled with information on this case. Evidence, tips, clues, it's all there. 
The suspect's fingerprints and DNA have been entered into U.S. and international databases, including Interpol. If you have information about the death of Al Kite or know the identity of his killer, please contact the Aurora Police Department at area code 303-739-6103. This week's topic was a listener suggestion. Thank you to Ashley for recommending Al's story. While most of our episodes center around Michigan and the Great Lakes region, we will be back in Colorado again soon. If you haven't had a chance to review the show, please join Lynn Pod, Susan Seven, Ross Penny, Rachel Singer, She's So Tough, Chitaga, Jimmy Fourfeet, Angry User, and Not the Cat Lady for their five-star reviews. Your review helps other listeners find the show and the stories shared here. Also, Pearly Girl, I'm glad to have a creepy voice in a good way. Thank you for your review. If you are in or around Southeast Michigan, please plan to join myself and Aaron and Justin, hosts of the Generation Y podcast, at their first Michigan meetup on Saturday, July 8th, from 2 p.m. till 5 p.m. at Doc's Sports Retreat in Livonia. If you're planning to attend, please send me an email, host at alreadygonepodcast.com, and let me know. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the event. If you'd like to hear me talk about something other than terrible crimes, now's your chance. I did a guest appearance on the Is This Adulting podcast. The episode releases on June 1st, same day as this one. Be sure to give them a listen. It's a fun and funny show. Now that summer has arrived in the United States, I'm going to have a slightly reduced schedule, taking a week off in June and again in July. Hopefully, this will allow me to create longer and more in-depth episodes, which is something listeners have requested. Patreon supporters will still have access to a mini-sode during those off weeks. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe.
You've been loading up on things from Walmart. Yeah, I used my new Capital One Walmart Rewards card. It earns unlimited 5% back on everything I buy from Walmart online. Say what? 5% back. Say what? 5% back. Say what now? 5% back. With what? The Capital One Walmart Rewards card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online on top of Walmart's everyday low prices. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One N.A.